Welcome to Innovator. I'm Andy Feldman. Our topic today is how Mexico took on the soda industry and won, passing a tax on soda. Our guest is award-winning journalist Tina Rosenberg. Here's a clip. Mexico has by far the world's highest death rate from the chronic diseases that are caused in part by consumption of sugary drinks. There's one kind of Coke that we're used to thinking of killing Mexicans, but this kind of Coke probably kills twice as many Mexicans. Coca-Cola probably kills twice as many Mexicans as the cocaine trade does. Tina Rosenberg is with us. She's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist whom you may know from her Fixes column in the New York Times. Her recent long-form article in The Guardian is titled How One of the Most Obese Countries on Earth Took on the Soda Giants. It tells the story of the successful effort to pass a soda tax in Mexico in 2013, an achievement that will no doubt be closely followed by other nations, such as the United States, with high rates of obesity. To give us an overview, I'm glad to have Tina Rosenberg with us from New York City. Tina, welcome. Thank you, Andy. It's my pleasure to be here. You note in your article that the people of Mexico are big fans of soda. On average, across the nation, they consume a lot. Tell us about that. They love their soda. Mexico is one of the probably top three soda-consuming nations in the world. The others are Colombia and Venezuela. And you just see it everywhere. I mean, you see babies with bottles instead of filled with milk, filled with orange soda. You see people going to work in the morning carrying huge bottles of soda for their lunch. They make a three-liter bottle in Mexico. And uh, in some places in Mexico, like the highlands of Chiapas, which is an indigenous region and probably the highest soda-consuming region in the world, they consider Coca-Cola to have magical powers and they use it in religious ceremonies. I think it's an important place to start this real-life story because it's not like soda was unpopular, so go ahead, add a tax, no one will notice. It's very popular, and yet the consequences of high soda consumption were becoming clearer over time in Mexico. Tell us about that. Well, one of the consequences is that the same period of time in which soda consumption tripled in Mexico for some groups was accompanied by a rise in the average waist size among women of childbearing age, between 1999 and 2006, the average waist size went up by nearly 11 centimeters. And that is unbelievably huge. And during the same period, child obesity among kids 5 to 11 rose by 40%. And those two figures are really unique in the world. No other country has seen a rise in obesity of the magnitude and speed that Mexico has had. And another consequence of that is health problems. Mexico has by far the world's highest death rate from the chronic diseases that are caused in part by consumption of sugary drinks. There's one kind of Coke that we're used to thinking of killing Mexicans, but this kind of Coke probably kills twice as many Mexicans. Coca-Cola probably kills twice as many Mexicans as the cocaine trade does. So if you think Mexico is an unlikely place to pass a soda tax because people are big consumers of soda, there's another factor that makes it equally unlikely, and that is because the soda industry, and in particular the dominant player, Coca-Cola, is very influential in Mexico. It had used its money to gain influence all over the place. Even the Diabetes Association, you note, was taking money from Coca-Cola. Tell us about how the soda industry was trying to position itself. Well, first of all, this is not unusual. This is the strategy of the soda industry all over the world. It's probably stronger in Mexico because of the size of the market and the fact that the Mexican health system is really underfunded. And so 
people are always looking for the private sector to step in, and of course the soda industry is just too happy to do that. But it, it hit me in a, in a strange way. I was trying to contact a diabetes association in the, in the city of Monterrey in the north because I wanted to talk to somebody about some programs they had there. And I was having trouble finding a number for them, so I went on their Facebook page. And right near the top of the Facebook page, you see their likes, who they like. And the first name that came up was FEMSA, which is Coca-Cola's Mexico bottler, one of their Mexico bottlers. It happens to be the largest Coke bottler in the world. And I thought, that's really weird. Why would the Diabetes Association of Diabetes in Mexico, in Monterrey, like a Coke bottler? And so I talked to them, and it turns out that they get a substantial amount of money from the soda industry, um, especially Coca-Cola and FEMSA, the Coke bottlers. They help, for example, by financing a camp that they can send kids with diabetes to uh, every year for a week during the summer. And this is very, very common. Um, many people who are closely associated with the Mexican Diabetes Association, I talked to the guy who's the head of their training programs, he also works with Coca-Cola. He does videos for them. Um, now he says he doesn't get any compensation for that, and he does that because he's interested in helping people get proper hydration. But it's clear that there is a strategy there of trying to uh, associate with influential medical uh, personnel and medical educators in Mexico. So when the time comes to debate what's behind Mexico's uh, obesity and diabetes uh, epidemics, the answer is not going to come back. It's the soda industry. <laughs> right. A key person in the story is Alejandro Calvillo, who in the mid-2000s launched a consumer advocacy organization called El Poder del Consumidor, or Consumer Power in English. Calvillo and his organization create an informal network of similar organizations, and they start to give voice to the issue of Mexico's diet. Yeah, Alejandro was really the key civil society person. He had been head of Greenpeace in Mexico for a long time. And when he launched uh, El Poder, it was not your typical consumer organization. Like it, it didn't have as its mission, we're going to take complaints about fraud and investigate them. It was much more like a Greenpeace, but just focused on two issues that he chose. One was food and one was transportation and pollution. So on the food side, he did. He started a network of, there's probably more than two dozen organizations in it now, which is called the Nutritional Alliance for Health. And it's all sorts of different um, groups that work on various aspects of, of food policy, for example, small farmer organizations, child health organizations, uh, water organizations. And Alejandro was the organizing force, and it was very, very powerful to bring all, them, all of them together. In your article, Tina, you note that this advocacy group, Consumer Power, and the network that it created brought focus and organization and a voice to the issue of Mexico's diet. But what it couldn't bring was money, money for for example, a media campaign. That changed in 2012. Tell us what happened. Well, that took a white night, and the white night was was my mayor, um, Michael Bloomberg, the mayor of New York City, ex-mayor now, who is sort of informally known as food nanny to the world. He loves doing things to help people change their um, behavior in terms of things like uh, smoking and sugar, etc. And the Bloomberg Philanthropies had been working around the world in smoking cessation and they decided they wanted to start working in the issue of obesity and they looked around at, at countries that needed this kind of help and, and Mexico was an obvious choice, especially because a new administration was coming in. 
So they spoke to various people and brought Alejandro to New York to talk to them and put in the in 2012 put 10 million dollars into um, the fight against obesity in Mexico and that changed the game. So with that money, this network of organizations, the Nutritional Health Alliance, can sponsor a media strategy to raise awareness about the impact of soda. One of the ads, as you note, is called 12 Spoonfuls. Can you describe the ad for us and also the broader media strategy? Sure. Well, they had never done any sort of paid media before because they had no money. So this was a group that had lived on press conferences and, and clever stunts that attracted a lot of attention. So now they had money to do paid campaigns. And the 12 spoonfuls just showed um, kids holding sodas and the writing said, you would not give your kids 12 spoonfuls of sugar, so why would you give them a soda? And another poster showed 12 spoonfuls of sugar and said essentially the same thing. And this really caught people's attention. I mean, people in Mexico had no idea. I think most people anywhere have no idea. And finally, we get to the soda tax itself. Give us an overview, if you would, of how it got introduced and more importantly, how it got passed. Well, the, the important thing about the phrase soda tax was not the word soda, but the word tax. Um, this was introduced by the government, the new president, um, Enrique Peña Nieto. His administration was desperate for money, and this was an obvious way of raising money. And so the proposal came out of the administration, not out of the health ministry, which actually opposed the soda tax, in part because of the ties that the health secretary had with um, her former organization, where many of the projects were financed by the food industry and the soda industry. But this came out of uh, the Treasury Department, and that's who was pushing it. And that was obviously a tremendous help because you had the president's party on board, which made up a large portion of, of people in Congress. But they also needed a public campaign because, as in any country, voting for a tax is very politically dangerous in Mexico. And so the campaign helped give politicians political coverage through a poll where they asked Mexicans, would you support a soda tax if the money would be used to put drinking fountains into schools? Because most Mexican schools did not have potable water. And that had very high public support. And so then the lobbyists who were working on the inside with um, El Poder, which was running the outside strategy, could then go to different congressmen and senators in Mexico and say, look, you're safe if you're voting for this tax because it has public approval. Now, what the poll didn't tell people was you actually can't earmark tax money in Mexico. So there was certainly no guarantee that any money raised by a soda tax would go to pay for water fountains. And in fact, it didn't. Um, it's only now just starting a program to do this in Mexican schools. So they gave legislators that political cover. In 2013, Mexico's Congress passed a one peso per liter tax on sugary beverages. It effectively raised the price of a soda by about 10%. They also passed an 8% sales tax on junk food. A final question for you, Tina, which is, what are your takeaways from the story in terms of lessons for other nations battling obesity that might want to learn from Mexico's experience with passing the tax and its early results? Um, I think it will add a lot of momentum to a growing awareness and interest in a soda tax on the part of many, many governments around the world. One reason is if it can happen in Mexico, it can happen in most places because the soda industry is so incredibly powerful in Mexico. 
And another reason is there has been um, well-conducted research funded by Bloomberg, yes, but carried out by serious researchers at the Mexican um, National Institute of Public Health that show that the tax is doing what it set out to do. First of all, it's raised a lot of money for the government. And second of all, it has increased the purchase of bottled water and decreased the purchase of sugar-sweetened beverages, especially on the part of poorer Mexicans, who are the people most impacted by obesity and diabetes. So, and, and that the tax is picking up momentum. It, is, it was much more successful at the end of the first year than it was when it was first introduced. Successful meaning a larger drop in consumption. That's right. That's right. It, it increased its effect on consumption as the year went on. On the other hand, the soda industry is also learning from this. And I'm not sure exactly how they're going to respond, but it is certainly the case that Beverage industry associations in Mexico have been talking to their sister organizations in other countries to help them draw lessons from what happened. So you have both sides getting smarter from from this battle. A note to our listeners, I will post Tina Rosenberg's article to the podcast website so that you can read the entire piece. I'll also be interviewing one of the authors of the study that Tina just referenced on the effects of the soda tax in Mexico, and I'll be posting that interview in the coming week. But for now, Tina, thank you for being with us and for giving us an overview of this really interesting and important story. Thank you for having me.